Okay, so thank you to our readers. Um, neither of those stories were particularly uplifting, I don't think. Um, in one, there are Israelites complaining and God sends serpents uh, to kill them. And in the other one, someone healed all these people and then comes back to find that they're living uh, in a way that he didn't intend for them to live. Um, so that is in fitting with the, the theme that we're talking about this month. So, so all month we are talking about the fall, uh, which is not to say autumn, though that is lovely, uh, but instead the fall of humankind, the sinfulness and badness of humanity, uh, which is a little bit of a downer. Um, however, I think it is good to talk about, and I, I was kind of happy when Tim told me uh, that the theme for this month was going to be the fall, because I think in some ways I'm uniquely qualified to talk about this. Uh, I grew up in a heavily Calvinist denomination, and I think that apart from maybe Roman Catholics, Calvinists really have the best grasp of human guilt and sin. <laughs> uh, so I grew up with these, <laughs> these notions are very close to my heart, and I think uh, I, may, I may have a unique perspective on them. Uh, so, so Calvinists not only believe in original sin, which is a common Christian theology, uh, which says that since Adam and Eve ate that fruit, in the garden, we are all sinful and we can't not be, like, we're all inherently sinful no matter what. Um, but Calvinists not only believe in that, they also believe in the theology of total depravity, which is about as serious as it sounds. Um, total depravity means that we are actually so sinful that even if we try to do something good, that good action is essentially tainted by our sinfulness. And nothing that we do can actually be good enough to please God, which sounds pretty intense. Um, but I, I'm going to make the case that both original sin and the idea of total depravity are actually not notions that are so very far from, uh, from our consciousness as just people living in the world. They're not inherently... Christian ideas, right? Um, the idea that we are all bad, I don't think is something that only Christians walk around saying. Uh, in that, I have a lot of friends, Christian and not, who, for instance, uh, have like made rules for themselves that say, I will not check the news before 10 a.m. because it starts my day off bad, right? Uh, when you check the news, it's a lot of bad stuff. Um, and it often feels like the only good things that are really in the news are there specifically as a feel-good story. Uh, and maybe it's as simple as like a squirrel water skiing or whatever it is. Um, they like put little good tidbits in there so that it's not all bad, right? Um, there's bad stuff going on, and it doesn't, it doesn't take any kind of theology uh, to tell you that. Um, so I think the idea, of, or that the idea of original sin, meaning the idea that people do bad stuff, uh, that's not so out of left field. Um, and even the idea of total depravity, the idea that we can't uh, even do anything that is purely good. It, I've got to say that that 
resonates with me a little bit too because I think that even when we do good, there's always some personal motivation behind it, right? Um, maybe your motivation is to feel that you get like a little endorphin rush when you do something good, right? So there's actually, there's a lot of discussion online and blog posts and forums, but also a lot of serious philosophical discussion about whether there is such a thing as a truly altruistic act, um, which is really getting at that same idea. So, uh, well, I decided I would go to the internet to find out if there was such a thing as a truly altruistic act. So I googled, what is the point of doing good? And lo and behold, the internet provided. Uh, there are seven scientific facts that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that why you should do, why you should do good. Uh, this is the top result when I search this. One, doing good decreases stress. Two, doing good increases life expectancy. Three, doing good makes us feel better. Four, doing good makes us happier at work. Five, doing good promotes mental health. Six, doing good leads to happiness. Seven, doing good will motivate you to do good again. These are all, I mean, except for maybe the last one. The last one's maybe pretty good, but these are all selfish things, right? The reasons that we, and they're not bad things, right? It's good to uh, decrease your stress and promote your mental health. But if, like, if these are the, if this is the point of doing good, it is inherently selfish, right? Um, so then I ask myself, does that matter? Uh, do I care if human action, good human actions are motivated by self-interest? Does that matter? And I think the answer is yes and no. Um, most of the time I would say it doesn't matter. Uh, there are bad things going on in the world that need to be fixed. Um, you know, a whole spectrum from like very bad, objectively, morally wrong to like the gray areas where like someone feels bad and maybe needs a friend to help them feel better, right? There are all sorts of bad things going on and I think we should do our best to try and make those things better. Um, and if your reason for doing that thing is that you get something out of it too, then what's, what's the harm in that? You know, I think that's fine. There, there are, um, there are a lot of philosophers, uh, that are, who, who talk about this and whether or not that is or isn't good. And, you know, tomes have been written on this topic. And I think, um, ultimately if you are doing good, at least, at least that's something. Um, so on the one hand, no, it doesn't matter. But on the other hand, I think there are going to be times when it doesn't feel good to do good. Um, and so then you would run into a little bit of an issue if you really believed in total depravity, right? Um, so for instance, I think sometimes uh, telling the truth is the right thing, but sometimes it doesn't feel good or benefit you at all, right? 
maybe you are the one who did a really shitty thing and you have to own up to it. Um, in no way is that doing any good for you, right? Um, if you have to tell someone that you messed up in a really big way, and let's say it would have been easy to cover it up and never mention it again, I think it's probably still right that you, that you own up to that thing, but it, will not, it doesn't feel good, right? Um, you're getting probably nothing. I, I mean, I guess you could say maybe you have a weight off your conscience, um, but, but there's not, it feels bad to say what you did. It feels bad um, to tell that hard truth. So in those cases, however, I think there are still people that do that, right? I, I know that many people would choose to cover up something like that, but there are still people who would choose to tell the hard truth. Um, so maybe we're not purely totally evil, maybe we are, I don't know. Um, so what I really want to get at, though, is the fact that we are broken people. Um, that even though we do good and uh, we may have good intentions in some cases, uh, we are broken, right? And I think no one truly walks around thinking that they're perfect, but at the same time, you walk around and you make choices to the best of your ability, but you are limited by your own ability, right? Um, so because we are not perfect, we are trying to do good, but we don't always succeed. Um, so I want to tie this into the two readings from today. So the first one was a story from the Old Testament, from Numbers, and a little bit of background on that story. So the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt, and they escaped the, as a nation, they escaped their slavery, and after that entered a period where they just were nomads, they were wandering in the desert, um, basically looking for a land to settle down and a land to call home. And in this time that they were wandering in the desert, um, previously they were wandering, they didn't have any food, so they start complaining and, complaining and groaning and like, why can't we be slaves again? Like when we were slaves, at least we had food. Like they were working us to the bone, but at least we were fed and could provide for our families. Um, so in the story, God sends manna from heaven, which was like a bread that would rain down with the morning dew every day and they would collect it and eat the manna. And it was great. And they had food every day and they could live. And now in this passage, what's happening at the beginning, they say something like, we don't have food and we hate this food, <laughs> which is like, so they don't have other food, right? They have sustenance, but they don't have, you know, real hearty food that they, that they're craving. Um, but they say, we, we don't like this stuff. We're sick of this. This sucks. Um, which like, how, like, and God's like, come on guys, like, <laughs> Stop complaining. Like, I gave you this food. I literally saved your lives. I gave you this food. You are so ungrateful. So that's the first thing that I want to talk about is we are broken people helping broken people, right? You can't choose how someone responds to your helping them or your doing good in the world at large, right? 
Uh, and I think that, it's, so it's, it can be someone as ungrateful, or it can be maybe like you save someone's life, and then they go on to do something really awful. Um, when you do the act of good, you don't get to choose how they respond to it or what they decide to do after. And I think on a less personal but more global level, I think we see the same thing happen sometimes. Let's say you try to do something good for the world uh, or for the environment, right? Um, there are examples of times when people tried to do something good and did not know about the terrible like butterfly effect and how bad it would be for the world ultimately. Like um, using pesticides, for example. When we first discovered pesticides as humans, we were like, awesome, we can spray this stuff on our crops, the bugs won't eat it, we get more, we can feed more mouths, like how awesome, we, we, can, we can eliminate hunger with these, with these great pesticides, and we thought we were doing something good, but then, uh, of course, the bugs and the pests become resistant to that pesticide, and then we make a stronger pesticide, and then, you know, it builds on itself, because of evolution, and uh, suddenly we're using really strong pesticides on our crops, and the bugs can still eat them. Um, and so that, that was really bad for the world, even though we were trying to, to do good. Um, so despite our best intentions, uh, we can't foresee what's going to happen after we do that good thing. So. In the story in Numbers, uh, so <laughs> the Israelites complain, and God is like, all right, fuck you, here's some snakes, like, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and he literally sends snakes to kill people, like, <laughs> and so then the people are dying, and Moses is like, Moses prays on behalf of the people, and says, God, please take these snakes away. Like, we are dying here. Don't kill us off in the desert with these snakes. And I think it's really interesting what happens. God does not say, okay, and take the snakes away. That, right? Which is interesting because God put the snakes there. God could take them away. But that's not what happens. God says, okay, here's what you have to do, Moses. Make a snake out of bronze. Create, fashion a metal snake. And then when the people look to it, then they'll be healed after they get bitten. And it's interesting for two reasons. One is that uh, God is uh, making humans solve their problem, right? And it's not even we have to solve our own problem, right? Like the humans didn't make the snakes. Uh, God made the snakes. God put the snakes there. Um, and I think on sort of a metaphorical level, we can look at that and be like, yeah, we didn't create a lot of the problems in the world, um, but we have to deal with them as they are. There are poisonous snakes in the world, and we have to, we as humans have to deal with that. We can't expect or hope that uh, there is going to be some divine intervention that will take all the poisonous snakes away. Um, so that's one interesting thing. And the second interesting thing is that... God makes Moses do this weird thing. Um, and I would be willing to bet that like, well, there's no evidence in the Bible that says Moses was a craftsman of any sort. Moses probably didn't know how to 
make a bronze snake. And that's probably a, both a difficult and a dirty and a hot task. Um, but that's, that's what he has to do. So while Moses uh, probably wasn't very good at this thing, at making this snake and didn't like to do it, uh, he did it. Um, which I think, I think can be useful to think about as we think about doing good, that it may not always be fun, nor, nor may we uh, think that we're very good at doing that particular thing. So that's, that's sort of the numbers story. And then the second story, the, the Oscar Wilde poem. Um, so in this poem, there is a doer of good who I think the reader could infer is Jesus because he's healed people of leprosy and blindness and, and things like that. Um, but it doesn't say that, and we don't, we don't have to read it that way. Um, so there's this doer of good who has healed people in the past. So the first guy was a leper that he healed. And the guy who healed him finds this leper later in life in this beautiful hall of like jasper and glass, reclining on a decadent sofa with roses in his hair and red wine teeth. Um, and he's like, why are you living this decadent lifestyle? What, what are you doing? And he's like, I got a second lease on life. Like, I was an outcast in society. Uh, I had nothing. And what, what else should I be doing? Um, and then the other people, there's um, a man who had been blind uh, that was healed. And then he's, like, chasing and looking after a woman lustfully. And the guy's like, what? dude, what are you doing? And he's like, I've been blind forever. Like, I'm going to look at some women, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and then the woman uh, who has her face painted and is wearing shoes of pearl, uh, he, <laughs> he says, why do, you, why do you walk in this way to, to create temptation? Which is a whole other, <laughs> a whole other woman-shaming thing that we could, that could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but we won't go there. Um, but he's like, why, why, woman, why are, you, why are you acting in this way? And she looks at him, she actually laughs. And she says, uh, you already forgave me of my sins, and it is a pleasant way. <laughs> and <laughs> so with all of these people, I, the thing I, I guess, the theme I see here is that none of them are doing anything that is obviously objectively evil, right? Someone's living decadently, someone is lusting, um, someone is, you know, dressed up fancy. <laughs> um, and I think it has more to do with the expectations of the person who did good than of what is actually happening, right? Um, the person who healed them, it seems had the underlying expectation that, you know, I will heal you, I will make you better, now go and be good forever, right? <laughs> and, and that's not what happened. So I think once again it touches on this idea of broken people helping broken people, right? I think that as doers of good, 
we have expectations and maybe that's part of our brokenness um but also not only that we have expectations of other people but that sometimes maybe we didn't do a very good thing in the first place right um, maybe the thing that we thought was going to be doing good actually had uh this snowball effect and ended up not being good at all um and then the people that we help are also broken, right? Um, despite their best intentions, maybe they had intended to you know, take this new lease on life and do something good and worthwhile with their time, but they, you know, they're broken people too. So, so where does that leave us? Broken people helping broken people, right? What's, what's the point if the things that we try to do good may or may not be good, and then when we do them, they may or may not make any difference at all. Um, <laughs> I told you we were talking about the fall. <laughs> it's going to be dark. And I, I think that I could, like, given that our topic is the fall, I think I could just end the talk right there, right? I could just say, what is the point, and then leave you all to think about it, and then, like, in a few months when we're talking about <laughs> another, then we could circle back and maybe have some answers, because there aren't of course, easy answers. Um, but I think it is important to sort of chew on this a little bit and think about doing good and our intentions and whether or not it matters. Um, so rather than ending there, I will say I think there are two reasons uh, that we should do good. The first reason is, uh, it's really more, it's, it's, not any, it's not a Christian or theological concept. It's that we have to live with our own consciences, right? Um, I think regardless of your beliefs about religion or sin or any of this, everyone, everyone has a conscience of some sort. And if you don't live in alignment with that moral compass then you're going to have a bad time, right? You are going to feel better and be healthier and be a wholer human if, you, if your actions are aligning with your moral compass, um, which really ties back into the idea of doing good for the sake of yourself, but that's fine. Um, so that's one reason. And then the second reason I would argue that we should do good um, ties in a little bit more to the bigger picture of the fall in the context of Christianity. So uh, when I was growing up, uh, this big picture pervaded all of my schooling in every subject we talked about these four things. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Um, this is the big picture of Christianity. And I mean, when I say that, those concepts pervaded everything. I mean, every like my senior project in high school was I had to analyze the movie The Princess Bride and tie it into creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? Like we were reading this into things that maybe we shouldn't have read it into. <laughs> I probably still have that paper somewhere, but <laughs> I'll give that as another sermon a different time, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, but the idea is 
in the, in the framework of Christianity, creation, God created the world and it was good. Fall, humans sinned, and now we are all sinful forever because of that. Uh, redemption is that uh, the person of Jesus fundamentally changed the way that humans can relate to God, and it enabled us to um, start doing good. Um, and then, rede- uh, sorry, re- redemption, restoration. Restoration is the act that we all take part in now, um, which is that um, we can have hope for things ultimately getting better in some way. And I think, uh, I think this notion of of hope that things can get better is actually pretty radical, right? When you look around the world, you don't always, always or ever see evidence that things are like, that there's a net gain of good things rather than a net loss, right? Um, So I do think that this radical hope, um, we could see that as a Christian concept because it's something that uh, you sort of need to have faith in rather than have tangible evidence of. So I think we can and should tie this idea of restoration, of uh, enacting and enabling the process of doing good. Uh, we should tie that in to the concept of the fall. Um, so regardless of whether or not it seems futile to do good, um, I think it is important that uh, we try to, and we try to restore goodness uh, to the broken places of the world. So...